The following podcast contains references to mental health issues that some listeners may be very sensitive to. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINNetwork.com. The Rain Insights podcast from Rain Network. In this episode, David Lawrence, co-founder of Rain, speaks with Dr. Harold Koppelwitz to discuss adolescent mental health. Dr. Harold Koppelwitz is the president of the Child Mind Institute and is one of the nation's leading child and adolescent psychiatrists. He is widely recognized as an innovator in the field, a strong advocate for child mental health, and a master clinician. He has been repeatedly recognized in America's top doctors. Best Doctors in America, and New York Magazine's Best Doctors in New York. Harold, uh, once again, it's a great privilege and honor to have a chance to speak with you, uh, and simply because we may have some first-time listeners to your uh, insights, why don't we just start with uh, a little bit of a background introduction to the Child Mind Institute and your work, and then we'll jump into the Surgeon General's report and um, starting to understand um, new insights around social media. Great. So I'm Harold Koplowitz. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I'm the founder and the president of the Child Mind Institute, which is a 14-year-old organization that's independent nonprofit. In fact, it's the only organization in the nation that's exclusively dedicated to transforming the lives of children and families who are struggling with mental health or learning disorders, which are the most common illnesses of childhood and adolescence. Uh, The American Academy of Pediatrics recently stated that uh, it's no longer infectious disease, it's mental health disorders that affect more kids than any other disorder. Um, And we do three things. We uh, provide gold standard clinical care in the New York metropolitan area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, Uh, as well as uh, a lot of work with telehealth. And we do research, which is unique in the respect that we are the leader in open science, which means that while we have federally funded research, we share our results as we collect them. So many others can write articles and publish in peer-reviewed journals uh, on the work we're doing, but we're accelerating the pace of discovery by sharing our data. And third, we do education, so childmind.org. Uh, now gets two and a half million unique visitors a month since COVID. Before COVID, it was a little more than a million. Uh, We do public service campaigns in May during Mental Health Awareness Month. We partner with Bloomingdale's during Christmas and in May. So every time you come into the store, they round up the change for us. Um, And we are very readily available to the Surgeon General, to the Speaker of the House, to the White House, um, and to all the major networks when bad things happen that require an explanation that kids can understand. All right. Even in the brief introduction, what I want to share with the audience is that probably there is no other individual uh, in the country, I'll even say in the world, who has done more to uh, promote evidence-based knowledge around mental health, uh, the mental health issues that confront young people and to assist in destigmatizing these issues and far uh, well, well before, you know, it became a vogue and there was a 
Mental Wellness Month and before you saw various uh, celebrities coming out of the, the woodwork. Uh, Harold laid the groundwork for this and obviously has been involved in many of the leading national campaigns and certainly in briefing our uh, policy leadership as well as corporate leadership on the significant issues. So um, the purpose of this particular session, Harold, um, again appreciate your making time, is uh, within the last week or so, uh, our Surgeon General uh, released a advisory on social media and youth mental health and um, specifically citing that there were, uh, I'll use the language, some benefits. There are ample indicators that social media can also pose a risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. And citing the ubiquitous use of um, and access to social media. And I know this has been a subject well before the Surgeon General issued the report that you've been following, you've been speaking about, you've been analyzing, studying, etc. Uh, shed some light on uh, what it is we should know and how we should be thinking about this. Well, I think the first thing we all should do is applaud the Surgeon General. He is doing his job, which is uh, the idea that he's there to protect our health. And uh, as a physician, as a researcher, and as a dad, he had genuine concerns that the tech companies haven't provided safety data uh, the way a pharma company would before they release a drug, and that something changed dramatically in 2011. Because before 2011, our brains had e evolved so that we would know a small group of people very well. And 2011, uh, with the explosion of the internet, we were now connected potentially to every human on the planet and secondly 24-7 and so that sounds very exciting but in many ways for kids in particular it threw our kids into a jungle and the jungle has some very nutritious and wonderful things in it but there are a significant amount of dangerous unsafe things in that jungle which really requires parents to be alerted and be aware of who is coming into their kids' lives. And the, the other thing we have to remember is that for kids to have healthy brain development, they need real life interactions, they need sleep, and they need exercise. And we know that the more time you spend on social media, the less time you do real life interactions, sleep, and do exercise. So. Uh, this is a very good advisory that should make parents very alert to just the potential uh, harm that social media could do. And then there are specific things that we should mention about cyberbullying, uh, basically mistakes that last forever because they occur uh, online, and also the idolization of bodies uh, that are totally unrealistic, you know, where, where especially for young men who spend a lot of time watching pornography on the internet, there is a, a complete misalignment of reality and expectations. Again, to uh, recognize that the Surgeon General not only did his job, but he, uh, he has done his job in a fairly um, timely way to highlight these things. He cites to the growing uh, issues of depression, anxiety, um, suicide tendencies and um, referencing the addictive qualities of social media. And maybe um, you can help unpack that a little bit and explain 
what it is you've been seeing and what it is that you continue to study at the Child Mind Institute. Well, let's start with some bad uh, statistics that are making us very anxious, and that is that between 2014 and 2018, uh, the number of young people who committed suicide went from 5,000 to 6,120. The number of young people who came to emergency rooms because of suicidal behavior or suicidal ideation that was very dangerous uh, went from 600,000 to 1.2 million in the year. So it doubled, the, 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 risk, uh, the risky behavior doubled, and we had a significant increase in mortality. Um, and if you think about what was changing in our society from 2014 to 2018, it really it wasn't the water supply, it wasn't telephone wires, um, it, it clearly was the internet and the proliferation of social media, um, gaming, um, streaming, both which are not included in the Surgeon General's report, but gaming is very addictive. And even when you watch Netflix, you know, when you finish one episode before you can say boo, the next episode is up and might even start. So another 30 minutes or 60 minutes of your eyeballs on the screen. And so if we think about how chilling that facts are that you have so many more young people who actually commit suicide and so many more who are thinking about it or even having gestures or attempts, um, that's quite worrisome. Now, COVID has just made everything much worse because during COVID, um, people started using the internet significantly more. In fact, we started to see a group of kids who have something called problematic internet usage. And these are kids um, who are spending at least six hours a day on the internet as much as 10 hours. And you can imagine that uh, all the rules that parents had about how many minutes kids could be on or when they could be on, a lot of those rules just disappeared um, during COVID. And getting families back to some realistic expectations as to how much time your child should spend every day uh, putting your screens away uh, during meals, uh, taking your this, the phone away from your kids at nighttime uh, really has to be instituted. And, and we also found out with problematic internet usage that parents who were inconsistent, who weren't co-parenting, you, you know, in sync, uh, their kids were more likely to have... Um, problematic internet usage and uh, parents who themselves were overusing the internet and modeling bad or poor internet behavior, their kids were more likely to have this problem. And, and we also know that there are 17 million kids in the United States, one out of five, who have a mental health disorder. And kids with a mental health disorder are particularly sensitive to, um, to the negative effects of the internet. So we know that if you have an underlying depression or an underlying ADHD and you start using social media more than six hours a day, um, y your symptoms are going to get worse. Uh, you're more likely to use the internet and if you use them, you are definitely going to become more symptomatic with whether it's mood disorder symptoms or whether it is ADHD symptoms. Sir Harold, um, one of the points that was made in the Surgeon General's report and, and, and some of the experts uh, who released statements in conjunction with uh, the report is that social media was not built uh, with children's mental health in mind. And um, we've spoken a lot about parental responsibilities 
Uh, tell me some of the things that you've seen as you've studied what's on social media and how you think about corporate responsibility in moments like this. I do like to quote um, former President Obama uh, around the financial crisis. It, it took a lot of people to get us in this mess and it's going to take you know a, a fair number of people to help dig us out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about corporate responsibility and how you see that. So um, we, we, for those of us who are not you know, incredibly sophisticated about the internet, there are algorithms, right? Um, sometimes you'll find that if you uh, go online and buy something that, uh, or you think you want to buy something, you'll now start getting ads all the time um, for that item or items like it, you know, it's, or sometimes you just have to be talking about it in your in your uh, living room or in your kitchen, and then all of a sudden, you know, series, the computer is actually listening and you'll start seeing ads for that movie or for that item. Now, the algorithm is designed for adults, and the problem with the algorithm when kids use it, so if a kid looks up something about sadness or about depression or hopelessness, uh, and then they go back and open up an app that they were looking at or go back to the page that we're looking at, um, it will feed them, the algorithm will feed them and will say, you know, it's, it's uh, sadness is very pre prevalent and it's not unusual to be this sad and you'll find yourself uh, looking at videos or looking at uh, articles about suicide in the same way that girls who uh, are dieting and start looking up dieting, they will all of a sudden be, you know, the, the question will be asked, what did you eat today? And you can get photographs of other people's dieting. Um, so that algorithm has to change. Um, and I would tell you that I think there's a lot of restrictions that we should put on to protect our kids. So I, I frankly don't think that children should be on um, their internet between 10 o'clock and 7 o'clock in the morning. And unless a parent signs out, and that has to be at least, you know, a 13-year-old kid. You know, so 13 and under, that's the, that's the rule. And uh, more importantly, uh, the algorithm can't be the same seductive, addictive algorithm. And I think that unless the feds get involved, I, I just... I, I, you know, it's the same thing with pharmaceutical industry. I, I, I'm a big supporter that the pharmaceutical industry should be inventing and producing uh, central nervous system medications. That said, uh, I don't want the pharmaceutical industry uh, advertising what drug to take and what drug not to take. So for that reason, at the Child Mind Institute, we don't take money from them. We don't let them come on the grounds because inevitably they influence us so that we start prescribing more expensive medicines, maybe with less data than the old medicines. And I think, you know, it's you, you can't expect the pharmaceutical industry not to want to make money. And the same thing with tech. You're going to have to insist that there are some regulations that protect our children. And frankly, I think this is a bipartisan issue. I think that you'll find that if the feds don't do something, states will start to do things that will basically say, you know, parents have to be more involved unless you have parent permission. You're not allowed, you know, you, you, you lock, the computer gets locked based on the kid's age. I mean, it sounds a little George or Orwellian, but I think otherwise we're, we're, we're going to enter, we're, we're going to be in the matrix. You know, kids are going to be so, uh, you know, their brains are so different. Children, child brains and adolescent brains are so different than adults that uh, they clearly need some protection. 
you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up is, you know, what kind of teeth um, does the Surgeon General have? And the truth is, you know, there's not much of a budget and he's not a lawmaker. But I like to think about, you know, one of my favorite Surgeon Generals, Everett Koop, uh, who went to Dartmouth and, you know, was a, a real straight shooter. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Reagan or Bush made him the uh, Surgeon General. And he took on tobacco. And because of his persistence, eventually there was a uh, warning label that still exists on every um, package of cigarettes. And that led to eventually the House and Senate investigating the tobacco companies and what they knew and what they didn't know about data uh, that causes health risk. You know, there was times in the 50s where, you know, doctors were recommend, you know, on advertisements, doctors were recommending that cigarette was, cigarettes were good for you. And I think that this Surgeon General has put us at a pivot point where are we going to protect our children? We don't want our kids smoking cigarettes. And by the way, you don't smoke in public places anymore. You don't smoke in the office. You don't smoke in the hospital. You don't smoke in restaurants. You don't smoke on airplanes. And that was that was certainly the standard. You smoked on airplanes all the way into the 80s. And so I, I think that this is a moment. He's ringing the bell. He's raising a red flag saying, are we going to protect our children? So, Harold, just an interesting parallel uh, because vis-a-vis uh, -vis the risks of tobacco, uh, there were confluence of factors. It wasn't just uh, Dr. Coop. Um, you had, you know, congressional investigations. You had the plaintiff's bar uh, suing. It was a long discovery process, and it was, a, you know, very much a back and forth. It took probably 40 years. And what I'm reading from the report and hearing from you is that we don't have 40 years. And, you know, there are certain parallels here in terms of the addictive qualities of social media and, and what gets uh, delivered. Um, and just in terms of, you know, federal legislation uh, maybe being warranted, but, you know, the states are acting, Europe is acting, and it, it is interesting that China has imposed uh, some very strict limits on the usage of or access to social media and also restrictions around the content that they will allow uh, their young people to be exposed to. Uh, so there probably are some insights and some lessons to be learned. But let me, um, let me just sort of pivot with you because of something um, that you said here about the adolescent brain, the children's brain. Uh, for the vast majority of Americans, I don't think they understand uh, the development of the young brain and what's going on and uh, why it is um, at a particularly critical time that young people have to be protected. And maybe you can give us uh, a bit of a tutorial on brain development and you know what goes on inside the adolescent brain and how it develops and when it develops. Right, so the way we should think about adolescent development is not 18, uh, but is 24. Um, by the time you're 24, the overwhelming majority of of humans, um, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain behind um, your forehead, you know, or your your you know, your your the front of your brain, um, is finally connecting to the rest of the brain, and it is making it possible for you to make judgments about cause and effect. And before that, uh, opportunity is always more attractive than risk. 
So, you know, if your mother said to you, I can't believe it, you're saying all your friends are doing it. If all your friends were jumping off the George Washington Bridge, would you jump off the George Washington Bridge? And the answer is most probably yes, because the peer group is so important and I'm not thinking about the fact that I can't swim that well and it looks like fun and the cool people are doing it and I want to be cool. And so uh, it's a pretty dangerous time. And if you look at what kills adolescents, it's accidents, it's suicide, it's homicide. Um, it, you're not supposed to die when you're a teenager. And so it is this impulsive brain, this I hate you, I love you, I'm boiling, I'm freezing, that is uh, quite dramatic. And, uh, and what's really interesting is that you can learn lots and lots of stuff while your brain is young. So, you know, you take a 16-year-old, drop them into China for 90 days, don't let them speak to anybody who speaks English, and come back in 90 days, they're speaking, you know, rudimentary Chinese. They're managing. And if you put David Lawrence or Hal Coplowitz in for 90 days, you know, we'll be pointing to things at the end of 90 days. Our brains get old, and they are not as uh, flexible, and they're not as fluid. So that's good. The, the bad part about having a very pliable, flexible brain is that when you get a bad habit, it is much harder to break a bad habit that started before the age of 24. So people who start smoking cigarettes at 15, 16, 17, and then try to stop in their 30s really, really struggle with it uh, because their brain has gotten very used to that nicotine hit versus if you sm start smoking cigarettes at 25 or 26 and you stop or 30, it's, very, it's much easier to break that habit. So easier to learn lots of stuff, easier to learn bad habits and clearly your brain is very sensitive to alcohol to marijuana to cocaine to all the illicit drugs uh, in a different way than the adult brain is so one of the reasons we need to protect our teenagers and certainly our preteens is the understanding that bad things have a very bad effect on the developing brain. And and good things have a very positive effect. So if you can get your kid to you know, sleep eight hours and sometimes nine hours, and if you can get your kid to exercise every day because they get a love of exercise, and if you can make sure that you and their friends are having real life interactions, uh, those are all positive things that help for healthy brain development. Um, so, I mean, parents, you know, the, most parents know that a kid's supposed to walk at one and have a hundred words by the time they're two and hopefully be toilet trained by the time they're three. And I think parents need some education as to, you know, how is their brain developing and when is the risk periods for bad habits and, and have these discussions. And, and I would tell you, it's, it's very hard to take a kid's phone away. And if the kid is used to watching a lot of or being involved in social media, they almost act like you're taking away a drug. They can have a temper tantrum. You, you can see this sometimes on a bus or a plane or, you know, on a train when a parent says, you know, we're coming to the next stop. You have to stop. And the kid actually has a meltdown because you're taking away the screen from them. So if, if they feel it and need it so badly, that's a, that's a telltale sign that um, this is potentially very bad for your kid, and particularly for certain kids, right? For kids who have depression, kids who have ADHD, yeah, and, and, and kids who are teenagers. I mean, uh, David, I'm sure you, like every other uh, boy in America, when he was in junior high or high school, had an episode where someone bullied you, someone pushed you, someone took money away from you, someone, you know, uh, was mean and insulting. And it, and, and it was definitely traumatic. But 
It lasted for five minutes, 30 minutes, and there was the sanctuary of going home. And even if you didn't tell your parents because you didn't want to embarrass yourself by telling them, you, you recovered. And today, there is no privacy. You know, someone will film, you know, the embarrassing, humiliating moment, and then it'll be online, and it's there forever. And everyone you know knows about it. Your cousins, your friends from sleepaway camp, your friends from your summer job, your your uh, the people you play baseball with. And so um, the humiliation becomes magnified. And we also know that teenagers are very sensitive to feeling hopeless and helpless. That's what makes them attempt suicide so frequently, and even complete it because they're again they're boiling they're freezing they're so intensely humiliated so this is potentially a very toxic for particularly for a certain percentage of the population very toxic agent um, to the brains of these kids and to for their lives so um, I'll go back to something you said earlier which is um, parents sort of know at different ages what their children should be doing walking talking holding a fork um, Etc. Uh, a somewhat unique experience, Harold. It's actually someone I'm going to be referring to the Child Mind Institute, but uh, a very, very uh, accomplished, sophisticated lawyer uh, just happened to be talking to me about his 15 year old son and um, for being very withdrawn, very depressed. Of late, I asked, you know, was he shut in during COVID? And, you know, and he says, not really. He actually got, they live in the suburbs, so they, they got out. And I just happened to ask, I said, is he, um, is he on social media a lot? And um, his colleague said, yeah, he's on it all the time. And I said, have you read the Surgeon General's report? And he said, what report? And I forwarded it to him. And uh, interestingly, he and his wife did not have an appreciation. Now they're, they're limiting the time. They're going to try to work with him, but, it, but, but it, it struck me that there is a huge swath of the population called parents who may be under-informed about the risks, notwithstanding your efforts, the Surgeon General's efforts, and everyone else. So point well taken. Uh, let me ask, because there is growing concern, um, I was on the phone with friends in Chicago, the rise in youth violence, and, and obviously there have been a series of mass attacks. Uh, there were also issues with drug usage, etc. Uh, how do you think of this just in the context of what you've seen with social media and the Surgeon General's report and some of the other commentary? Well, I, you know, I think our kids are struggling. There's no doubt that COVID's been very bad for everyone's mental health, but particularly for kids and teenagers. Um, the fact that, you know, the CDC reports that, you know, close to 60% of all the girls, um, teenage girls have reported intense loneliness, increases in uh, symptoms of anxiety and depression in the last two years, that, you know, one, th one out of three teenage girls in America uh, says that during 2021, they seriously thought about suicide, 60% higher than a decade ago. Um, the levels of anxiety uh, symptoms and depression symptoms are up 20%, according to the WHO, for young people. Uh, so we, we know that our kids are in trouble, and it means that parents have to step back and they have to think about knowing their child, that if they want to 
participate as being part of the solution, they have to understand, do you know your child? Do you know how much time your child sleeps? Do you know what their appetite is like? Do you know what kind of things they really enjoy and get pleasure of? Um, and do you know how much time they spend online? And if you don't, you can easily find out. You know, you take their phone and you can see the history right away will tell you how many hours that they've been on. The, the second thing is for young kids, parents have to brainstorm alternatives, uh, almost like an activities menu of things that we can do that don't involve the phone. Um, don't invite, don't involve the screen, uh, and and I think many parents have used the screens as a babysitter, particularly during COVID when they had to work from home, when there was not enough childcare, um, and they have to break that habit. Um, and the third thing they have to do is they have to keep a, a social media schedule. When is this family going to be online, and when is this family offline, and what are the guidelines? Is it an hour? Is it 30 minutes? Is it two hours? Um, and is it also going to, are there limits? You know, are you going to put guardrails on who and what your kids can do online? And I think last, which I mentioned before, is you have to model uh, healthy screen time behavior. And I think that you know, parents are overwhelmed. I mean, there's so much they have to do. But if you thought of it as a dangerous person coming into your house, you would double lock the door. You would close, you know, put, pull down the shades. And I think that, you know, this is part of parenting in the 21st century is understanding, um, you know, the risks that social media has. And so it's not a benign, it's not like television when we were growing up where, what, there were seven, cha eight channels, I don't know, you know, two, four, five, seven, nine, 11, 13, and at midnight or at one o'clock, you know, uh, a minister or a rabbi or a priest came on and said a prayer and then you had a target, you know, just a sound and it, it, the TV went off. So, you know, the risks of watching television too much of TV uh, certainly took away from reading time and took away from outdoor time, but it wasn't as potentially toxic as what this does to kids and, and how it can influence their thinking and their behavior. And as you, you survey sort of uh, the rise of mass violence and, and very often the involvement of young people in these attacks, uh, invariably law enforcement in the post-mortem goes back and looks at the search histories and looks at their their writings, social media history, et cetera. Any perspective on, on you know, what we need to be doing and any early conclusions about that? So I, I think we have to recognize that the media is 24-7, that there are real threats out there, whether it's uh, how divisive the country is or how climate change, and that could really worry a kid who's going to be around in 50 years from now. Um, or the, the fact that, you know, a lot of African-American citizens are, are being shot and that school shootings, while still rare, uh, feel very common because every one of them is, in graphic detail, is shown to us on a screen somewhere and kept up to the minute 24-7. And so all of those things are particularly bad for kids. And also, if kids are feeling socially isolated and alienated, uh, the internet gives them pockets of very dangerous community, you know, so that whether it's neo-Nazis or whether it's uh, white supremacists, um, and, and, you know, in the same way that, you know, we, we used to see people being recruited 
to you know the the Muslim Brotherhood or to the Islamic Jihad, uh, there are it's very seductive when you're feeling isolated, alone, and, and disenfranchised, and you're a teenager uh, or a young, you know, and all the way up to 24. So I think that there, you know, we have to be, you know, I think there's a limit to what we can do about what can go online, but as parents and uh, legislators, I think we can uh, control how old you have to be to see this. You know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I'm going to show you how old I am, uh, Playboy um, was at the local pharmacy, and it came in a brown wrapper. And uh, you couldn't buy it unless you, I think, were 14 or 15 years old, or maybe 16 years old, or your father or mother had to buy it for you. And, it, you know, it was kept on the top shelf of the magazine rack, and the pharmacist was watching to make sure you didn't take it and pull it out of the brown wrapper and take a quick look. And, you know, they were regulating what imagery what material uh, young eyes could look at. And so this is not unusual for this country to care about our kids. Uh, it's just that this is a new medium and it needs to, we need some regulation and we need some parental controls. And what I'm hearing, uh, Harold, a little bit is uh, the risks have always been there. It's just with technology and with these platforms, it's accelerated, accessibility. And, 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 and intensified. And intensified, accessibility. There used to be a, a you know standards around broadcast media. You know there are no similar standards, no hearings, no licensing, etc. And so this is the amplification of these issues uh, through these medium, uh, these various mediums. Uh, last question, mindful um, of the time, Harold. Uh, I looked at um, following the Surgeon General's report, uh, leadership out of the American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association. Uh, the Academy of Family Physicians, um, all leadership seemed to embrace the report and to be supportive and to talk about we need to do something and uh, I'll call it a little bit of collective responsibility, um, but also corporate responsibility. Where do we go from here? And yeah. You know. Well, I, I think we should follow. I think we should follow uh, uh, Surgeon General Coop's roadmap, but do it faster. Let's accelerate this. So let's get a Senate hearing. Let's get um, let's get a hearing in the House of Representatives. Um, let's get experts in front of uh, these lawmakers and explain what brain development looks like, what the risks are. Yes, there's some positives, but you know, because there is a certain percentage of the population, at least 20% who is at risk, why we need regulations. And, and let's get this moving. And, and, you know, remember, moms had big effect on seatbelts and on drunk drivers. And, you know, this was a nation who, you know, you don't go into a car now without putting a seatbelt on. But we got to do it faster. We don't have, forget 40 years, you, you don't have 10 years. Because in 10 years, the metaverse will be so present. Uh, and so two to two-year-olds the 10 year olds will be the first generation of uh, adolescents who are going to be immersed in artificial vir you know virtual reality so this has to happen sooner than later the debt ceiling is going to be corrected there is the urgency of that is over this our children's uh, mental health and their safety uh, really should be the next agenda Harold on that uh, concluding note and the conversation to be continued thank you again uh, the insights are incredibly helpful and obviously your continued work in the public good invaluable okay thank you david thank you harold thanks
This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both real-world and virtual events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thanks for listening.